Welcome to this episode of Nursing Edge Unscripted, Saga, where we journey through the history of nursing education using stories that connect the past to the present and then our future as we reimagine our teaching, learning, and scholarship. It is often said that the past teaches us about the present. To study history is to study change. This year, Saga gives voice to nursing through the words of our early nurse leaders who organized a discipline and carved out systems to formalize the education of nurses throughout the United States. In their own words, illuminates the visionary work of NLN pathfinders who questioned traditional curriculum paradigms and in the process, co-created standards for nursing education to build the discipline of nursing. In part one, we discussed how leaders of the society and NLNE proposed new ideas and perspectives in the context of mutual sharing. Diversity of thought and ideas was central to their work. In part two, we will discuss how the major nursing organizations reorganized to create a more unified voice for nursing and how membership, racial, and ethnic diversity was finally addressed despite the continued absence of diversity in nursing programs. Throughout the 20th century, individuals and schools joined the NLNE through the state leagues. In 1940, the NLNE Board of Directors recognized that in order to advocate for a diverse national membership, a new strategy needed to be developed since state leagues in the South prohibited membership for Black nurses. In 1940, at the 46th Annual Meeting in Philadelphia, delegates voted to change the organizational bylaws to create the option of individual membership for nurses who, quote, are not eligible for membership in state leagues, end quote. Similarly, that same year, the House of Delegates of the American Nurses Association authorized membership for Black nurses barred from joining the association because of the exclusionary policies of their respective state nurses associations. Diversity of membership was finally achieved for both organizations, but it would take years of members from diverse backgrounds to be fully engaged in state organizations. There is no more powerful illustration of the painful and prolonged journey to an inclusive organization than the story told by Dr. Mary Elizabeth Carnegie about her experiences while Dean of Florida A&M University in the late 1940s. In her words, as recounted to historian Dr. Sandy Lowenson, quote, the State Board had a conference in Jacksonville at a hotel and invited me to present my rotation plan. It came time for lunch, and I could not sit and eat with them. They put me way over in the corner by myself, and I couldn't eat. So I left there and went back to campus. I said, I'm not going back there. And one older faculty member said, Dean, 
That's what they want you to do. You're playing right in their hands when you say, I'm not going back. You are going back again and again. It was up to me to take the leadership role and really fight for real integration, not just on paper. You never win by staying away, end quote. As Dr. Carnegie and others struggled for equality, the national organization also recognized the need for unity of purpose among the major nursing organizations. In 1944, Ruth Sleeper, president of the NLNE, commissioned a study of leading nursing organizations to determine if a better way to organize and promote professional nursing existed. Ms. Sleeper recognized that to achieve a wider sphere of influence, nursing first had to be unified. Fragmentation along educational lines had created isolated groups of educators and practitioners who could not communicate effectively with one another. In 1949, Ms. Sleeper presented a plan to form two national organizations. An already existing organization, the American Nurses Association, which had joined with the National Association of Colored Graduate Nurses, and a new organization, the National League for Nursing, which united the NLNE, the National Organization for Public Health Nursing, and the Association for Collegiate Schools of Nursing. In 1952, at the 59th Annual Convention in Atlantic City, delegates voted to accept the new structure and selected Ms. Sleeper to become the first president of the new organization. The new NLN moved swiftly to create a more inclusive community. Ms. Willie Mae Johnson of the Public Health Nursing Service of Montclair, New Jersey, was elected as the NLN's inaugural board of directors as its first African-American member. In 1953, members voted to approve a position that all activities of the NLN shall include all groups, regardless of race, color, religion, and sex. By 1959, a patient's Bill of Rights was adopted, calling for nurses, quote, to respect the individuality, dignity, and rights of every person, regardless of race, color, creed, national origin, social, or economic status, end quote. The NLN's effort in the mid-20th century to create a more diverse membership is consistent with the NLN's current core value of diversity and inclusion, which affirms that by acknowledging the legitimacy of us all, we move beyond tolerance to celebrate the richness that differences bring forth. Throughout the history of the society, the NLNE and finally the NLN leaders shared a collective commitment to diversity of thought and perspective, and finally diversity of membership, challenging long-held beliefs, calling for reform and a transformative future. In a speech in 1972, 
Perhaps Ms. Sleeper said it best, quote, when walls crumble and positive interaction really begins, great things are possible, end quote. And so the saga continues, and may our saga continue as we bring to a close this episode of Nursing Edge Unscripted, Saga. Thank you for joining us. And remember, good teaching doesn't just happen. Find your fit, push the boundaries, and celebrate the ahas. <laughs>